Please listen carefully. 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 Welcome back to the Utterly Moderate Podcast, the official pod of the Connors Forum. Check us out at connorsforum.org. I'm your host, Lawrence Eppard. I apologize, there's a really noisy thunderstorm going on right now outside my office window where I am taping this show today, so if it's a noisy broadcast, you know why. But at the top of the show today, I want to mention our most recent article in the Connors newsletter, which you can subscribe to in just seconds in the show description in your podcast app or at our site, connorsforum.org. The article takes a look at possible causes of current inflation in the U.S., as well as how U.S. inflation ranks compared to other countries around the world. Hope you check it out and join the Connors crew by subscribing. On today's show, we are joined by the main meteorology team of Lee Enterprises and their 77 newspapers around the country, as well as the hosts of Lee's Across the Sky podcast, which you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. Matt Holliner, Joe Martucci, and Sean Sublett. Their fourth member, Kirsten Lang, was also due to join us today, but she had to cancel at the last minute, and so we will make do with three quarters of the lead team. Our discussion is going to focus on some of the myths about weather that average citizens like me often get wrong, as well as other cool little weather tidbits. I think it's going to be a great discussion. Lee Enterprise's weather team, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. So before we begin and get to all the great questions people have about how to interpret weather forecasts and which apps we should use and whether our car thermometers are accurate and all that good stuff, real briefly, can you guys just tell us where do you work, what do you do, and also tell us about your cool podcast about weather across the sky? Take it away, Sean. Okay. Well, hi, I'm Sean Sublett. I'm a meteorologist at the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Richmond, Virginia is my hometown. And uh, yeah, we have a nice podcast where we talk about all things weather and how it impacts people. Um, and, and that's the very short version. I'm very excited to, to be part of that. We were kind of getting the thing up and running over the past couple of months. We've had some great weather guests talking about tornadoes, severe storms, how people interpret severe weather information. It's all been really, really good stuff. Uh, and I've known Martucci there for a while there in South Jersey. Joe, why don't you go next, bud? Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I appreciate being on. And Lawrence, not too far away from you, just down Route 30. Uh, I'm over here in Atlantic City, so uh, not too far away from where you're at in PA. Uh, good to be with you here. Um, I, I've been at the Press of Atlantic City for five years now. Um, we were the first of our Lee Enterprises publications to have a meteorologist. It was actually someone before me, Dan Skeldon, who paved the way. Uh, but it's really you know, my job is really to help bridge the gap in weather that was left behind when our local TV station and its meteorologists uh, folded in 2014. So my role is very similar to more of your, what we would call a traditional broadcast meteorologist role, being now in the community, weather forecasts, um, you know, social media, all that stuff, uh, keeping it local here uh, to our four-county region. Um, but yeah, our Across the Sky podcast rocks. 
You can check it out. We we have a um, podcast we just did on the biggest weather stories in the Bible. So that's a good one if you want to check that one out. Uh, but we put it out every Monday. So you can check it out wherever you get your podcast. And uh, I also do a local podcast here called Something in the Air, which is more South Jersey centric. Um, we talk more about those kind of topics impacting the region. But, uh, you know, it's good to be with you and uh, good to talk about weather here on this podcast. Matt, take it away. Yeah, and I'm Matt Hollander, and uh, I'm a regional meteorologist for Lee Enterprises, so I cover all the properties spread out across the Midwest. It's a total of six states and 32 communities across six states. So uh, if you're anybody who's familiar with the Midwest, you know that's a lot of weather to cover. So I'm constantly busy with uh, severe weather updates, regular forecast videos, uh, there's always a weather to talk about. But yeah, I'm a part of the Cross the Sky podcast. So we got all the four members of the Lee uh, weather team on the, the Cross the Sky podcast. And I actually am relatively new to this position. I only started back in October, uh, but there have been a lot of developments. We Since October, we've launched the podcast. We've got some new weather graphics that we're using to help increase the amount of videos we're able to do and the quality of those videos. So it's really a, exciting times to be joining Lee. Um, because we're 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 trying a lot of new stuff when it comes to weather. You're only responsible for six states. Come on, you're making <laughs> yeah. that's, that's weak. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just check out their podcast. We'll put it in the show description across the sky. Uh, these guys are great. Um, real quick, so before the show, we all got together and talked about what are some things that Americans need to know about weather. What are some some things we get wrong? And I want to get to all those points in a moment. But I had two quick questions for you, just general, that I think our audience would appreciate. So the first is, and I saw this as one of the topics of your episode, so go listen to the episode. We won't ruin it, but just give us a snapshot. What's the hurricane season looking like this year? Uh, I'll go first since I'm uh, the default along the coast guy. Um, It's looking to be an active hurricane season again. Um, We're recording this on June 10th. We already had one system. That was Alex here. Um, Colorado State University is the forecast that I usually like to go with. Um, there's a number of very reputable forecasts out there, but Colorado State, despite it being landlocked, has one of the uh, best hurricane forecasts out there. They just put out an update with 20 named storms, 10 of them becoming hurricanes, and then five of them becoming major hurricanes. Those are your category three, four, or five hurricanes. Um, there looks to be And about 50-50 risk of a landfalling hurricane somewhere along the East Coast. Um, I'm sorry, a major hurricane somewhere along the East Coast. That's a Category 3, 4, or 5. Um, But the one thing I always like to say is, you know, it doesn't even have to be an active hurricane season to be a memorable one for you. And a great example of that um, was in 1992. So a long time ago, but in 1992, it was a very below average hurricane season. But there was one in particular that people remember, I think, most places across the country. And that was Hurricane Andrew, which really did wipe away large portions of South Florida. So it's always, even though it's an active season, we're going to remain diligent. It's always good. Even those below active seasons, you got to keep your guard out just in case of something. Yeah, to follow up on that, you know, we think it's going to be busier than average, probably along the lines of last year, maybe not quite that busy. We do not anticipate it getting crazy and and out there like it was in 2020. 
but the signals are there. Um, the environment is is supportive of a, a busier than average season. But as Joe mentioned, that doesn't tell us a whole lot specifically about where one is going to hit on the coast and if it will hit at all. Um, but if you've got more of them in a season somewhere, there is a greater probability statistically that one is going to come on shore somewhere in the United States. So uh, as Joe mentioned, and, uh, and Matt, Matt, you jump in as well, it only takes one in your location so as we get into the real teeth of the season by mid-August, that's when it's a good time to kind of check the weather regularly. Uh, you know, we, there's a lot of big hype when the hurricane season starts, but usually not a lot is going on. Now, that's been changing the last few seasons where we've had some early season ones, including Alex already. Um, but chances are that we're not going to have a lot of frequency until, yeah, we start to push in until more like late July, but particularly August, September. Really, the peak of hurricane season is until about September 10th. So that's when they're usually that's the time when you might have multiple systems in the Atlantic at the same time. So that'll be the particular the time to watch. This is why I love having people like you guys on the show. Whenever I pick a topic, get somebody who really knows what they're talking about. So uh, little pieces of information always come out. Colorado State University's got the best, according to these guys, got the best hurricane forecast. So go check them out. We'll, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. Yeah, Bill Gray did a lot of the founding research in this seasonal forecasting, hurricane forecasting. He, he's passed along, but his, his graduate student is now taking that over, Phil Klotz, back there uh, at CSU. And they're really the institution, and Bill Gray in particular, did a lot of the foundational work for this seasonal hurricane forecast. And a lot of other people are still basing their work on. Awesome. Yeah. Well, like I said, we'll link to that in the show description. All right, real quick, we'll make this as quick as possible so we can get into the um, the, the, the meat of what we want to talk about today. But real quick, favorite weather movies, each of you. Ah, <laughs> uh, ha. Huh. Well, I'm going to preface by saying I am notoriously known for not being a movie guy. That being said, um, geez, I mean, I would have to say Twister. I think that's just a classic. Um, in fact, um, our last class is called Mesoscale Meteorology. So that, that's really about your kind of smaller scale forecasting. So what's happening at maybe the state level or something. We had to watch Twister and point out all the factual inaccuracies in it. <laughs> and we got a letter grade on it. So I got a B plus on it. So I watched that movie and that one I'm going to go with my favorite weather movie. But I do like that. One. That one's a, that one's a good one. We're actually uh, considering this for a topic of one of our future podcasts, uh, maybe ranking the best weather movies of all time. And I think, yeah, Twister is way up there, but I'm going to go with one that's a little different. So we just have some variety here. Uh, I'm going to go with The Perfect Storm. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, yeah. Coming in uh, late 90s, George Clooney. Uh, you know, not only is it just a good weather movie, actually pretty good special effects, and it is based on a true story. Um, but some good acting in that movie too. It's just like a good story too. It keeps you enthralled, not just the weather story, but the regular, the rest of the story. So I like that one. Yeah. And, and despite some of its drawbacks, I, I will admit to being a Twister fan, um, <laughs> because I was, I was in my mid twenties when that came out. So I was already familiar with, with chasing and, and the severe the storm prediction center. So to see some of those things that I already kind of knew about being brought to the big screen uh, was exciting, even though there were some issues, to be sure. Uh, but the interesting thing, Lawrence, is to have watched how the field of storm chasing 
has changed since that movie came out. I mean, it was just a handful of academics doing storm chasing until that movie came out. And then it just, it went crazy. Um, so again, there, there are some issues with the movie, sure, but it is still, it's still my favorite weather movie because it draws attention to, to storm chasing and, and the importance of the work that we do. I do think it's kind of ironic. There was that part in that movie where, you know, they're around in the, in the black van, you know, the sneaky bad guy chasers, the corporate, the corporate, the corporate yeah. I mean, I mean, there's so much, there's so much in that movie that's kind of laughable. If, if you're inside baseball, as it were, um, to make a good movie. But, um, but overall I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a good romp as it were. I thought for sure you guys were going to say wizard of Oz, but all right, we'll move on. <laughs> all right. Okay. So like I said, so, uh, this team got together and, uh, I gave them the question. I said, um, make me a list top 10. I think you guys came up with 35, but uh, I said, make me a list <laughs> of, uh, some of the things that, Maybe Americans should know we get wrong, some things that we're confused about. So let's get to it. So this is one that I've wanted. This is why I've wanted to have this show for so long. I have been planning on doing this show for so long. And it just so happens that I uh, came across the Across the Sky podcast. And I was like, these are the guys that can answer this question. So one of the things I see in my everyday life is that myself, my family, my friends, we all are really bad in at interpreting the probabilities you guys give us of precipitation. So tell us how we should be thinking about those probabilities. 30% chance of rain, 30% chance of scattered showers. You know, how do we interpret that stuff? You will have meteorologists that disagree about this for one thing. All right. It does have a physical statistical meaning. What is the percent chance of um, one one hundredth of an inch of rain falling somewhere in your forecast area of responsibility? Yeah. So what does that even mean? Right. <laughs> um, you know, so a lot of meteorologists who do operational forecasting, who do the day to day weather forecasting will kind of take that number and try to correlate it to what you should kind of expect. You know, if you're having to forecast for an entire TV market, you know, several, several counties, or maybe you're forecasting for just a county or a city. It's the probability or the likelihood or chance that you yourself are going to get rain. All right. Now, again, other meteorologists will disagree because there's so much nuance here. When I do it, I'm trying to put a number in somebody's head like this is what you should plan for. If I say seven out of 10, you should plan for seven days. If I got 10 days that have these kinds of weather conditions, seven of them are going to produce rain. If I have... 10 days that are like these weather conditions, three of them are going to produce rain, all right? Because an individual person is very tiny compared to the whole atmosphere. Uh, and sometimes thunder showers are very tiny. Uh, so th this is, I know it gets kind of nebulous, a little wonky for a while. But when I use that number, that's what I'm trying to convey to somebody. How prepared should you be for getting some rain today? I'll just follow up with that. And, you know, I, I agree with everything Sean pretty much said, you know, in terms of what the definition is. And he, he pretty much hit that spot on. I tend to think that probability precipitation is almost a little outdated because I believe in Sean or Matt back me up. I believe the actual definition is the percent likelihood of something happening over an X amount of an area. So if you're talking about your local county, if you think, you know, there's a 50% chance that 50% of your area is going to have rain. It's a 25% chance of rain for the county. 
Does that sounds good so far, guys? I think I'm on the right path, right? And again, it depends yeah. on how big your forecast area is. Right. right. And, and, <laughs> but, but the thing is, given that it is 2022, right. you know, people want to know what's happening right where you are, right? There, there's little tolerance for zonal forecasts, which, by the way, I think helps people like in our position, like Sean, Matt, me, that are forecasting for localized areas. But that's another story. I, I almost tend to avoid, and I do, avoid using probability of precipitation. I will say there will be isolated showers and storms or scattered showers and storms, or there's going to be periods of rain, or it's a boomer bust scenario. Either we're going to get a whole bunch of them or we're going to get nothing. I, I think the percent chance people get hung up on the fact that it's a percent chance rather than telling them something that's an action word for them or something that they can understand. Like great example is, you know, we're, we're recording this on a Thursday or excuse me on a Friday, you know, someone's asking me, Hey, you know, can I go to the beach tomorrow on Saturday? I said, well, listen, you could get lucky and dodge all of these showers and storms, but don't be surprised if it rains on you for 45 minutes. I just feel like sometimes there's better ways to explain what's going on than a percent chance. That's my opinion, though. I'm not saying everybody has to do that. That's just my opinion. Yeah, I tend to prefer the words to like isolated, scattered, likely, especially as you start to, you know, with me, I, I sometimes, though I get hyper local at times, I sometimes also am talking about pretty large areas as well, talking about, you know, eastern Nebraska having a better chance of seeing rain than the central part of the state, for example. And so the larger the area, the less helpful the probability of precipitation gets and talking about chance of rain. And so it's better to talk about scattered, isolated, likely. But the other thing I'll mention, and one thing to make real clear is sometimes I think people think that when you have like a 70% chance of rain, that means it's going to rain 70% of the day. And that's absolutely not what it means. In fact, a lot of times, you know, there very rarely are wet days where it rains all day long. A lot of the time, there can be a high chance of rain, 80%, 90% chance of rain, but it may very well only rain for 30 minutes, an hour, maybe two hours. A lot of times it's you know a line of rain that works over the area. And sure enough, it rains, but it didn't rain all day. So there are certain situations where, yeah, there's a 100% chance of rain. And yes, it's going to be a real rainy day, but there can also be a situation where there's a 100% chance of rain but it may only rain for about 30 minutes. And so then people think, well, is that really a 100% chance of rain? And technically, if you go by the definition of probability of precipitation, yes. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't 100% you kind of think it's going to be a wet, wet day. And oftentimes it's not. So that's something to, to stress. It doesn't mean how much of the day there's going to be rain. And that's where, you know, we still come in. We're still useful as meteorologists to put that clarification. There may be a very high chance of rain, but it may not rain for all that long. Here's something you guys highlighted, and I had no idea about this. And I, I even after reading it, I'm not sure that I understand. So I want you guys to, to tell us all about it. Uh, one of the measures that we use to tell us how humid it is, is actually not the best measure. So you guys tell us when we're thinking about humidity, what should we really be looking at? Oh, man, we could talk all day about this. Uh, I'll start again. Well, I hate humidity. I'm a big sweaty guy, so well, yeah. talk all day about it. Let's go. Here's the thing. For the longest, 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 longest time in, in media, in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, the weather person would come up, here's the temperature, here's the relative humidity, right? And that, that's, what, that's, what, that's what the weather enterprise, if you will, ingrained in people's consciousness. What's the relative humidity? Not telling them what is it relative to. Right, it's relative to the temperature, 
because the higher the temperature, the more physical water vapor can be in the air. All right. It's like if you put a glass of water in a warm room, it evaporates a lot faster than putting a glass of water in a cool room with me so far. All right. But there's a way to physically measure how much water vapor is actually in the air as opposed to relative to the temperature or relative to saturation. That's why we say when it's relative humidity, it's 100%. It's saturated. All right. But the relative humidity on a day when it is snowing is 100% because it's snowing or raining. All right. But it's almost never 95 degrees and 95% relative humidity. That essentially never happens. All right. One of the figures that we like to use and that I'm going to push, and this is the hill I will die on, uh, is called the dew point temperature. It is literally the point or the temperature at which dew forms or there is saturation, right? You've got to have saturation for dew or clouds to form, all right? So the higher that number, the more water vapor is actually in the atmosphere as compared to relative to a temperature. And that's what your body responds to when you go outside and go, wow, it's humid. And your body really starts to notice this when it gets into the 60s. That figure gets into the 60s. When that dew point temperature gets into the 70s, it is muggy. All right. So 60s and 70s would be your benchmark. Uh, that's when you, I mean, in the wintertime, in the dead of winter, you know, when that number gets to the 50s, you start to notice it because your body is acclimated differently to it. Um but th- that's that's my soliloquy about why the dew point temperature is so important in terms of how you physically respond or what you physically notice about the humidity. Because humidity can be 100% when it's snowing, and it doesn't feel like it's humid outside. I'll die with Sean on that hill, too. I love that you guys have said you're going to die on the dew point hill. Please continue. I really don't <laughs> like using relative humidity. The only time, and here's the other thing too, and Sean, I, I don't think you said this exactly. The morning is typically more humid than the afternoon if you're looking at relative humidity. Um, but your dew point can remain the same all day long. So, you know, it's you can't really even compare sometimes, you know, what's happening. Oh my God, it was so humid this morning and then it wasn't this afternoon. Well, I, I mean, your dew point was the same the whole time. So, in short... I'm dying on that hill with Sean. <laughs> I love it. I'll be the third to go along with that. <laughs> because also remember that when it's 100% relative humidity, what that means is the air temperature is the same as the dew point temperature. So if the air temperature, for example, is 45 degrees and the dew point temperature is 45 degrees, and that's 100% relative humidity. But when it's 45 degrees outside and the dew point's 45, that's not humid. So the relative humidity could be really high, 100%, but that's not a humid day. You step outside when the dew point's 45, it is not humid. That's actually pretty comfortable. Dew point's 40s, 50s, that's perfectly fine. And when you start getting dew points in 20s, 30s, that's when we're talking about some pretty dry air. I mean, relative, depending on where you are in certain parts of the country, dew points, 20s, 30s can be pretty common. But other areas like the Southeast, that's some super dry air. Uh, so the big thing to watch out for when we talk about humid conditions, dew points in the 60s, and then very humid, you can talk about dew points in the 70s. It's very rare that you get dew points in the 80s. That's when it's just unbelievably humid. But dew points 60s and 70s, that's what you got to watch out for. That's when it's humid and not feeling good. Yeah, the one other thing to, to tap on that as we get into the summer and, and the actual air temperatures, 90, 92, 94. And even if it feels really, really muggy outside, let's say it's 94 degrees and the dew point temperature is 74, that's a hot and humid day, man. But the relative humidity is only about 45 or 
because when it gets hot, the atmosphere can or is capable of evaporating a lot more moisture into the air before reaching saturation. Yeah. All right. But there, but there is a limitation to what actually happens on Earth. Um, so if it's 96, 97 degrees and your humidity is 50 or 55%, you are struggling once you yeah. go outside. Mm-hmm. This is awesome. I'm learning a lot. Colorado State <laughs> University for hurricanes. 60s, 70s, dew point. Let's keep on rolling. I'm, I'm exp- I have a high standard now for this. Oh, I think we can <laughs> deliver. I think, I think we'll deliver. You're delivering. This is great. Um, all right. So this is one that I, I, uh, I've gotten, gotten into polite arguments with people about. What exactly is heat lightning? <laughs> Matt, why don't you do this one since you're in the Midwest? Yeah, yeah heat lightning... <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the the idea behind it is just if it's a hot night, then lightning just spontaneously occurs. But heat lightning in the fact that it, you don't hear any thunder, you just see lightning. And it's just because it's so hot and humid. That's not and a So it's thing. nothing to worry about, right? <laughs> All lightning is based from a thunderstorm. It's not doesn't just spontaneously occur. It is associated with a thunderstorm. But sometimes a thunderstorm can be occurring really far away, so far away that all you can see is the lightning and you're too far away to hear the thunder. And so, no, it's not raining where you are and you can't, you're so far away from the storm, you can't even hear the thunder and it's just hot and humid where you are, but it's raining somewhere. There's a thunderstorm somewhere. It's cooler somewhere. So it lightning doesn't just spontaneously occur in the sky. You may not see the rain, you may not hear the thunder, but there is a thunderstorm somewhere. It's just really far away. So yeah, that, that's that's the short thunder. version. You're seeing lightning from a thunderstorm that's too far away for you to hear the thunder. And if it's nighttime, right, it's a lot easier to see lightning because it's otherwise dark outside. All right. So that flash is going to travel a lot farther to your eyes when there's no sunlight around. But the the thunder dampens out very, very rapidly with distance. All right, so it's easy, easy to see a flash from a storm that is 80, 90, 100 miles away. All right, the other thing is that because the atmosphere sometimes refracts light, it bends it, you will see the flash um, in the sky, high up in the sky, but you won't see a bolt. All right, the light kind of bounces off of of the atmosphere. Sometimes we'll call that a temperature inversion. Um, and that's what you're seeing. But uh, because I have measured this one time, I was coming out of a baseball game and I looked on the far eastern horizon and I could see a thunderstorm. I could see I could see a cloud illuminate I'm like, wow, that's a long way away. I pulled up my radar. Fellas, this was on radar scope. By the way, I don't know a meteorologist that does not have the radar scope app. But anyway, I pulled up my radar scope app and I measured it. And that was a thunderstorm that was 110 miles away. That was night. Really? But I could see, I could see the flash and the outline of the cloud when the lightning flashed of a thunderstorm that was 110 miles away to my east. And that's here in Virginia where we're humid and the visibility is not as good because of haze and stuff as it is out in the plains and in the big sky country of, of the Rockies. All right. So you just brought something up that I think is another great thing for us to talk about. What are some apps we should have on our phone that you guys really like? There's all these apps, right? So you said Radar Scope is one. Yeah, ra- Radar Scope is one. I mean that that is really the pinnacle of great weather radar apps. It's very high detailed. All the different functions of radar because and, and this could be another thing. Ten things to know about weather. Yeah. Radar isn't just showing you know what's hitting the ground. It's showing the speed that it's going towards and away from the radar. How 
um, uniform the object is in the sky, you know, a whole bunch of things. But radar scopes one, could we promote our own apps? Download the Press of AC app for the latest in South Jersey weather, Richmond uh, Times Dispatch app. Uh, Matt's on every app in planet Earth, I think, with all of his markets that he covers. So <laughs> you can download our apps and we're actually looking on a serious note. Um, and I believe I'm speaking on behalf of everybody here. You go there, you're always going to have a fresh video at the top. You're going to have some kind of weather column talking about the forecast that's happening. Then plus other weather explainers. Um, we have our podcast on there. You can sign up for our newsletters that we put out daily. So it is a comprehensive source for weather. Um, Otherwise, I actually like to use um, uh, the. It's called Windy uh, Windy app. It's great because it shows um, uh, you can get sh like streamlined winds, so you can actually see where the air is moving from and how that's bringing in cold, colder air or warmer air. You can also view wave heights and all that um, marine stuff too, which is good if you're along the coast. Yeah, for for me, I I use the Radar Scope app, and the, the good the other good thing about the Radar Scope app. Um, it's 10 bucks a year because it's very data heavy. Um, but it, it's, it's the meteorologist's radar app because it's raw data coming in from the local national weather service of radars. It's not composite data. It's not, it's not kind of nudged and rounded off like so many other, uh, weather apps that are out there. Uh, so you get, you get it direct from the source, which I think is one thing that a lot of us like who are deep in it, as it were. The other thing to remember about radars is that radars have, it's a beam, right? But the beam has to be tilted up. So sometimes your radar beam is two, three, four, five thousand feet above your head. So it doesn't mean that it is going to be raining right where you are. This is like, well, the radar says it's raining, but it's not. Well, it's picking up something 4,000 feet over your head, not what's down at the ground. Conversely, sometimes, why do I have drizzle if nothing's on the radar? Because drizzle forms lower in the atmosphere, oftentimes below the radar beam. Um, so radars are great. I mean, they are great, but they are not perfect. And the other thing I'll mention about weather apps, because I always get asked this too, like, what's the best weather app to use? And it's like, why do the weather apps have different forecasts on them? Well, that's because they're different formulas that go into these algorithms that power these, these weather apps. So they're a blend of different models. And each app has a little bit different formula, giving a little bit more weight to one model or the other as far as the automated forecast goes. But that's the one thing uh, is the automated part, because you can tweak the blend of models however much you want. And when you blend the models, that's usually the best technique. But the thing I always stress is look for an app that's updated manually by a meteorologist. Yeah, we start out with that automated forecast. We're looking at all the models, but then we go in there and tweak that forecast. I know that was something I did in my la previous job when I had a was at the local TV station. We had a weather app, uh, but we would not just have go with the automated numbers. We would actually put our forecast numbers in there. So we were updating and tweaking the model data because we could see where the models are going wrong and where the app is too cool or too warm or too wet or too dry. And so we would tweak the numbers. We would raise the rain chances or raise the temperature based on what the automated formula was. So if you're just going with a weather app that doesn't have a meteorologist there that's tweaking it, you're not going to get the most accurate forecast. Somebody, that's where we're still useful as meteorologists, though we rely heavily on computers, that is true. 
we can still beat the computers because we can see where the computers are going wrong. And usually the computers are slow to adjust when the weather is changing quickly. So we can make those rapid updates. So look for a weather app. If you hear about your local meteorologist, whoever you trust for your weather information, if they have a weather app that they manually update and are tweaking, that's the weather app you should be using rather than one that's just completely automated with no meteorologist actually adjusting those numbers. All right. So here's one you guys sent me that I thought was really, really interesting. All of these are really interesting and they're all very useful. Uh, but this one kind of stuck out because it's um, kind of a public service announcement kind of, uh, kind of a, a thing. But you say highway underpasses actually aren't all that good for protecting you against tornadoes. So explain. Yeah, that was the one I, I came up with. And, uh, you know, there's a, a famous video that actually, I think it was from the early 90s or something. Was I some, was an undergrad when that happened. Yeah. I remember that very well. And I think this had a big part in proliferating this this myth, because it really is, because this person gets some dramatic video of a tornado and they're underneath an overpass filming this tornado. And in this case, they survive. But actually what happens when you're under an overpass and if a tornado goes directly over that overpass, it acts like a wind tunnel. So the wind speeds actually increase underneath that overpass. And it's more dangerous to be under that overpass than out in the open because the winds are even stronger. So it seems like, oh, there's something over my head. That's a good thing. But in this case, because you have two still open sides, that wind tunnel effect causes the wind speeds to increase. And so, no. And also, again, probably the most dangerous thing from a tornado is not the winds itself, but what's being carried in those winds, the debris that's picked up, especially if it's going through an urban area. You're talking about tree limbs and pieces of homes and cars and all of this debris that's in the wind that can then be funneled under the overpass because again you're not it's open on two sides and so you have even faster winds moving those objects even faster uh, that can then hit you so overpasses and then you see people pull up uh, under the overpass just to keep themselves dry and protect their car from the hail but if there's a tornado coming then the winds are going to be stronger and could even flip the car over underneath the overpass. So when you're in your vehicle and there's a tornado warning, uh, if you can see the tornado, obviously drive in the opposite direction from it. Don't drive towards it. Okay. So uh, and basically, basically you want to get, okay, yeah, basically you want to get into the nearest permanent building you can. So get off the road as quickly as possible. Just don't drive towards that tornado, drive away from it, pull off the road and get to the nearest permanent building if possible. But definitely don't t- stop underneath the overpass and think that's going to be safer for you because actually it's more dangerous. Yeah. That goes back to what you were saying earlier, Lawrence, about the Wizard of Oz. Right. Everybody, they see that movie and they think, oh, I'm going to be picked up by a tornado. (laughs) No, you're probably not. Most people are hurt and or killed. Unfortunately, just like Matt said, stuff is flying around that tornado. Big hunks of junk flying around that tornado, slamming into walls, slamming into buildings, collapsing buildings. That's where it happens. You're not going to get picked up and tossed a mile and a half away. That's not going to happen. If you're going to get hurt, it's because something hit you, something hit the wall, and the wall fell on you. That's why you want to be in the lowest level of whatever dwelling you're in. You want to be away from windows, and you want to put as many walls between you and the outside as possible. All right, and that was one of the other ones you guys sent me, which was, uh, you know, if you can't get to a basement, at least just get to the interior of the house. But uh, here's here's another tornado-related one that you guys sent me, which was that... uh, 
don't think you can just park on one side of a lake and, you know, that'll be a, a moat that will keep you safe. So uh, tell us about lakes and rivers and, and, her, and uh, tornadoes. Yeah, this is one I hear a lot, uh, too, that people think that, you know, like the Mississippi River will protect me. If I if, it, the, if the tornado is on the other side of the river, it's not going to cross a big old river or a lake. Uh, but that's absolutely not true. I mean, uh, we, there are tornadoes that have gone across entire bays. There are tornadoes that have formed out in the ocean and then moved on shore. So water does not impact these things at all. It's not like these things suck up the water and that suddenly magically kills them and cools them down. I think that was some of it. Is that if they intake some water, it can mess up the circulation. But the circulation is so high and aloft. Any water it's picking up is not going to have any impact on them. So there are many examples of these things that have gone across rivers, gone across lakes, gone across large bodies of water. And it, have, it has not slowed them down at all. It has not weakened them at all. It doesn't impact their intensity. So you can't think that if it's on the other side of the lake, I'm okay. If it's headed towards you, it can easily cross the lake and hit you. I'll tell you what, probably the most memorable tornado experience I have here at the press was actually from... Um, a tornado that started out over water. It was actually during a tropical storm. So tropical storms and hurricanes are actually notorious for bringing um, tornadoes with them, um, especially on the eastern side of the storm. But anyway, it's called water spouts. Is that the same? Water thing? spouts, right? Exactly. So the only difference between a water spout and a tornado is where it is at that time. So we were actually tracking early in the morning. This was early. I think it was a Thursday, maybe like three, four in the morning. These two areas of spin on radar, and they were both over the Atlantic Ocean. And you can see that they're moving fast, 60 miles an hour. We're like, well, geez, all the, this is actually, from a forecasting perspective, pretty easy. You know they're there. There's a water spout over water. It's going to come hit you. So what happened? So we had two tornadoes that started out as water spouts. One crossed into a shore town called Strathmere, which is one of our four free beaches in New Jersey. Fun fact. Um, and then it crossed the bay and then it went um, into this town called Memora, where it actually brought some pretty significant damage, including destroying a Coca-Cola bottling facility. Um, it also uh, brought a good amount of damage to a um, to a mobile home park in Upper Township. The other one um, crossed into the um, into uh, Ocean County, which is um, uh, in New Jersey, and kind of crossed over uh, Long Beach Island and then went over the bay and then crossed again um, into uh, the mainland where it eventually fizzled out. So, yeah, I mean, you know, tornadoes over water, also known as water spouts, are, uh, are just as dangerous because there is a good chance they could be going west or, you know, west from the Atlantic Ocean into uh, the shore or like Matt said, can go for a lake or a river. It, it will cross no problem. All right, fellas, lightning round. You ready? Let's do it. All right. So it's uh, it's lightning outside, but hey, I've, I've got double protection. I've got my sneakers on with the rubber soles and I'm in my car with tires, man. I'm good. <laughs> Your car will keep you safe, but it's not the rubber tires. It's the metal frame. The lightning will travel through the metal outer frame of the car, keeping you safe inside because it's going through the metal outer frame, but it has nothing to do with the rubber tires, actually. Yes, Google Faraday cage. That's uh, that's what's keeping you safe. There's far too much voltage, too much strength in that lightning. Your tires and your sneakers aren't going to do a damn thing. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I hear that it's a it's a Category One storm, hurricane coming. So I'm not too worried. I'll just stay here. Can't do any damage. Cat Five is really what I'm worried about. True. You know, yo, God, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, you know what was a Category 1 hurricane? Sandy. Sandy was a Category 1 hurricane up until it made landfall. Then it transitioned into something called a post-tropical cyclone. That's a story for maybe the next podcast, next time we come on the podcast. But, um, you know, the hurricane categories are just a function of the maximum sustained winds. It tells you nothing about the rain that's going to come with it. It tells you nothing about the size that's going to come with it doesn't really tell you much about the storm surge or the water above normally dry ground that comes with it either. It's strictly a function of wind. All right. And last one, I'm sure you guys have heard this. I've heard it a lot from my, let's say older relatives. Oh, ever since I was a little kid, the weatherman was always wrong. Uh, forecasting hasn't gotten any better over the years. Uh, I don't mean to trigger you guys. I don't actually mean that, but uh, I have heard that before, and I'm sure you've heard that criticism before, and I want to let you respond to it. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll start. Um, so, you know, I have a couple things to say about this. I'll, I'll break it down. Um, one, you got people asking me on Monday what the weather is going to be like this weekend. So, obviously, they have some level of trust that you're going to be able to provide some kind of forecast five or six days out. The other thing too, is that it's not just men who are part of meteorology. We have a number of women who are meteorologists as well. Um, I think the term, you know, weather man or weather woman has fallen by the wayside. Um, you know, still some people who say that, uh, but uh, generally like to refer ourselves as meteorologists because it is a science and we're studying it. Uh, the other thing is too, you know, we're not going to be right all the time. I mean, I have no problem saying that. I don't think Matt and Sean would either. Um, but we are definitely more right than not. And when you are looking at your phone app and you're seeing that there is a 30% chance of rain on Saturday and you have your big family annual barbecue that day, you're probably going to want to talk to a meteorologist, not your phone app to get the answer for that. Yeah, the line I hear a lot is, I wish I could have a job where I could be wrong 50% of the time. <laughs> yeah, so do I. <laughs> Oh, I don't even fight that anymore. I just say, yeah, I got paid on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> That's one that, yeah, we've all heard uh, quite a bit, but we are more right than 50% of the time. And I think, you know, the, 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 compared to where we used to be, I mean, we have come so far and that in some ways it's our, our, our greatest enemy at the same time. As we get better, the public starts to build confidence in the forecast. Right. And so they want us to go even farther out in time because we can be so accurate sometimes, especially in the next 24 hours, we can get very detailed. These high resolution models that we have now are really incredible at how close they can really match what's actually going to happen. But the problem is these high resolution models require a lot of computing power. So they don't go out very far. They can only go out about 24, maybe the most 48 hours. And that's why we have a lot of confidence there. And we can get into a lot of detail throughout the next 48 hours. But beyond the next 48 hours, we don't have as many models to look at and things start to change. Again, the atmosphere, the biggest problem with the atmosphere is it's always moving. It's always changing. And we're always trying to keep up with it. We're sampling what's happening now in the atmosphere and then projecting how what's happening now is going to change with time. But while we're doing that processing and trying to figure out how it's going to change, it's already changing. So we're always behind and always trying to play catch up. And as computers get better and faster, that's what's 
probably help the most and what is improved these forecast accuracy. But there's always that limitation because we also have gaps in the data. We don't know, have a clear picture of what's happening right now because we would need to not only know what's happening at the surface, but high up in the atmosphere as well. And we don't have enough weather balloons that are going up to sample all these different places high up in the atmosphere. So that's a limitation as well. If we had more weather balloons, even faster computers, the forecast could get even more accurate. But we're, we're limited by our tools. They're getting better. Um, but we've come a long way. Uh, you know, talk to uh, my favorite story of all time when it comes to meteorology is what happened with the Galveston hurricane in 1900. And meteorologists existed back then, but boy, they completely missed that it was going to hit Galveston and ended up being this deadly storm. But that would never happen today. There would be so much advanced warning, and we see it now. People can evacuate from the coast. So we've come so far as a field of meteorology. There's still room for improvement, but we're getting better and better. Yeah, we're a victim of our own success on some level. All right. Well, the Lee Enterprises weather team, you guys are so great and so informative. I've learned so much. I'm sure our listeners have learned so much. Check out their Across the Sky podcast. We'll put that link right there in the show description. Matt Holliner, Sean Sublett, Joe Martucci, and of course, uh, Kirsten Lang is a part of that team as well, but she couldn't make it today. Thank you guys so much for joining the program. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it. Looking forward to coming on soon. Thanks again. Appreciate it. Enjoyed it. Happy trails to you Until we meet again Happy trails to you Keep smiling until then Who cares about the clouds when we're together Just sing a song and bring the sunny weather Happy trails to you Take a liking to you.